Good morning, Chair City Church. How are you today? <laughs> I love it when you beat me to the clapping. That's good. You're enthusiastic. I'm glad you're here. Today we kick off a new teaching series called Unlearning Religion. And this is important to me. Again, we want to grow through this summer. We talked about spiritual maturity. And now we're going to be kicking in over the next few weeks things that I think kind of creep into what we, knew is a, what we know is a faith and just trip us up, you know? And we don't want to be religious. We want to have relationships. So you'll hear me saying that a lot. Sometimes when I'm talking to people um, about faith, uh, they'll say to me, uh, you know, I believe in God, and I believe God created the world, and I believe in Jesus. Uh, you know, they'll do that. I'm just, I'm just not into, you know, all the rules, all the do's and the don'ts and and, uh, you know, I'm not, it's kind of like, I'm not into religion, you know, and, and I know sometimes they're being ambiguous or they're just trying to, sometimes they're just trying to make light conversation, but sometimes they're being sincere to me. And I ask them, I'm like, if I think they're being sincere, when they're like, I'm not into the religion, you know, I just like having my freedom. I, I just, I like having my freedom and I found a way to kind of bring this all together. And, and I'll say to them, I'll, if I think they're being sincere, can I ask you a question? Uh, and I'll phrase it in different ways, but here's the sum of it. If Jesus were to come down today and meet you at your favorite place that you like to hang out, sit down at a table across from, me, from you, and lean over and whisper to you this question, do you trust me? What would you say to him? And most of the time, they respond to me with like, kind of, well, I guess I would say maybe not or I guess I, I really don't, right? And, and, and you know, what's interesting is that many people who think like this, who I talked to at one point or another, they, they had a faith where there was a trust in God and a trust in Jesus, you know? And, and somehow, and here's what's ironic, is over time, that relationship is what they had, a trust and a faith, grew into a religion meaning their own faith started to become rules and do's and don'ts and, you know, getting to a certain place and trying to accomplish certain things within their faith, and, and then it turned into a religion, and now they don't like what they had once become, which is more religious than anything else. Now, yet if Jesus showed up, I don't think he would want to talk about religion. He might want to bring correction to it. He might be critical of it, but Jesus would not want to talk about that. He would want to talk about relationship. And I say that based on his words in the New Testament. I think he'd be asking you, do you trust me? Do you follow me? Will you follow me? Commanding you to follow me. He'd be saying to you, do you love me? When it came to knowing God and understanding God, the same problem that seems to plague us today you know, our, our culture, even our church, is the same problem that plagued the people in Jesus' day. And here it is. What was intended to be a relationship with God had become a religion about God. This is not just fundamental. This is something that creeps into many of our lives. It, it, it comes into the landscape of our relation with God often. Most people had information about God. Many people do, truth about God. What's missing is transformation towards God's truth. You just can't have the information. You've got to have the transformation. And that's what the goal is of that information, to be transformed, to be more like Jesus. 
And this is what Jesus was doing when he was teaching in the book of Matthew in chapters 5, 6, and 7. We know this kind of portion of the Bible as the Sermon on the Mount. It's an incredible discourse, uh, one of the great teachings in the history of the world, in my opinion. And in that passage, in, that, in those chapters, Jesus is trying to move his listeners and us here today from religion to relationship. They were steeped in religion. And he's teaching them now how to unlearn that and come to a place of relationship. And you'll hear him say this throughout these chapters to his listeners. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said. You've seen teachers tell, you the, uh, tell this to you. You've seen them live this out. You, you've watched people do it this way. But I, this is what I tell you. I'm giving you a new way. And he's speaking like that because the Pharisees, who were the, the teachers of his day, the religious leaders, if you will, were teaching the Old Testament law and the Mosaic law. That's okay. That's righteous. But what they were doing that, in addition to that, they were adding their own rules to it. They, they, and in doing that, they were reducing it to religion now. And it was never meant to be that way. So Jesus is telling them, you need to unlearn what you've learned so that you can understand what I'm about to tell you and what I'm about to do in your life. You've heard it said, but now I say to you, if it's just information, you're going to wind up developing your own rules. You're going to filter it through your own narrative in your head, through your own culture, through your own traditions. Really, you're going to filter it through your own preferences, through your carnal nature. It's who we are. And when you do that, you're likely, depending on your personality, it's going to be more pronounced than others, you're going to become more critical. You're, you're going to be critical of others. You're going to wind up being judgmental in different ways and different degrees of others. One of the most popular statements of Jesus that's often misquoted and misunderstood. It's found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 6 in this Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking about this judging. Do not judge, he says in verse 1, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample under their feet. They may trample them under their feet and they may turn and tear you to pieces. What a strange passage. You got, don't judge. Remember the pigs, the dogs, the pearls, it's all going on here, right? But don't judge. That you got. Because we, you know, our culture's familiar with this statement. We're very familiar with it. We are kind of warm and fuzzy, as I say, with this statement, right? Don't judge me. And non-Christians often tell Christians, hey, don't you, didn't Jesus say not to judge? Why are you judging me? And, and we use it one towards the other. You shouldn't judge me. Say to the person next to you, don't judge me. Man, you, better, you can do better than that. I'll just, I'll just leave now if you're going to be that disengaged. <laughs> you know, I got some people hanging out in cruises that'll answer me better than that. Come on. 
don't judge me. Or maybe I've hit a wrong quote here. Maybe you actually are judging one another in a terrible way. Maybe I was more effective than I realized. But what Jesus was trying to do is he's now setting them up to unlearn what they had learned so they could learn something new. The Pharisees were the most influential people within the Jewish population at that time. And Jesus is talking to the same people that the Pharisees had taught. Uh, you know, going back uh, several hundred years, when the Pharisees came on the scene, it was a good thing. They came on the scene to protect and to guard that Mosaic law and Old Testament uh, law, which was good and, and it was righteous. But then over time, they began to add their own rules. And you know what they did? They raised the bar. And they, they raised, quote-unquote, the, the, the standard of God, if you will. And, and in doing that, over time, they became more and more critical and more judgmental to those who were not meeting up to this new standard, this higher standard, which kept being raised and raised. I, there was over, over a thousand different laws and rules that they added, things like you can't pluck the hair out of your head on a Sunday, uh, things like you can only take so many steps on the Sabbath. So judging became a normal way of life for those who believed in God in Jesus' day. And Jesus was saying, I want you to unlearn this. I want to help you unlearn this. I do think also that it's crept into what we know as modern-day Christendom, this judgmental way. There was a time when I came up here and and I was hanging around certain circles, and I think it exists in all circles a lot. And, and, and it's sad because it circumvents grace. You, you don't get grace. And it's sad for those around you, but it's worse of all for you. Because that's not freedom. And it's not grace. And you miss what God has done in it and wants to do in your life. I, I hung around these circles, and I just sensed that something was wrong. And what I started to do is I started to record not record like tape record, I mean like in my head, make a note of how often the people that I was engaging were critical of others, whatever it might be, just critical. And, and I noticed they, they would always kind of embellish it with certain words and sayings, you know, to make sure that they were mature and, and, and temperate and composed. But in the end, it was the same thing. They were being critical and judgmental. It was something like 75% of everything that came out of their mouth was coming from that place. I'm like, man, this, this just this stinks. It really does. It's, it's just God has so much more for us. And it's just not what I ever wanted us to be here at Chair City Church. I don't believe we are, but we'll, the only way we'll remain that way is by putting it out there and saying, that's not who we need to be, right? It's not what God has called us to do. It's to talk critically about, uh, you know, people or to judge people in a way that we're better than them. So what we want to, we, what we need to do is we need to unlearn from the Pharisees what they taught. We want to do that. We want to also unlearn what the world and the culture has taught us, because that kind of creeps into our lives to different degrees for each one of us. And third, we want to see what does Jesus want us to learn. Now, my, my son Justin is on a track team. Uh, when he first joined uh, two or three years ago, he, would, he was a sprinter, and his field, you have to have a field event, was the high jump. It looked much more impressive than that, maybe something more like this. It's a pretty brutal event, by the way. You know, you come home and you have these welts all across his back. You don't realize that those, bar those bars are hard, and they're running at it with all they got, and they go to jump, and bam! <laughs> it's like, really, it's like when it was a two-by-four. So, and the way, you know, what, here's what the Pharisees did. And so what they would do is, 
they would raise the bar. They'd put it, say, up here. And it'd be like, okay, in order to be right with God, in order to know God, this is where you have to get to. By, by adding all these rules, you know, making sure when you drink wine, there's nothing in it. Uh, on a, all these different things, they, this is where you need to be. This is what's required of you to be right with God. Now, when God established his standard of righteousness, I would say for the sake of illustration, let's just say this is God's standard of righteousness. It's not lower than that. This is, this is his standard of righteousness. This is where God's right. It's a great, holy, sovereign standard. He's ordained that. And when the Pharisees added these man-made rules they concocted, they now put the standard back up here. And they called people and taught people to go there. And here's the problem. No one is clearing that height. No one is clearing this. Not you, not me, not any Jew. No one is getting there. And when people wouldn't get there, they would become critical. Matter of fact, that actually would be like they were standing there watching people not make that and then judge them, scoff at them, be critical of them. And you know what? They they couldn't make the height themselves. They couldn't reach that quote-unquote standard that they had set either. They'd walk, it, they'd walk under it, they'd walk around it, but they weren't going over it. They were not going over, and they were failing to see God's righteousness and what he had called them to. Listen, when you move the bar from God's righteousness and you raise the bar with your own rules, you lower the standard of God's love. Now, we have, we do this in different ways. We do it intellectually, through tradition, through culture, through our preferences. We attach things to God's righteousness and to God's standards that we think should be now, this is, this is what you need to do and be to truly know God, to truly, quote, unquote, be a Christian. We do it. And when we do that, we lower the standard of God's love. And this is a problem because God is love. God, I mean, there's nothing greater than God's love. I want, you, I want that to warm your heart this morning. I want that to float your boat this morning. I want you to feel so special this morning and so privileged that you know that there is nothing more powerful than God's love, and you know God. I mean, that's, that's God's love. And you, you walk out into a hurting world, a broken world, did a funeral Friday, was in children's hospital last night, There's so much pain, there's so much suffering, there's so much questioning, and and God's love is the answer to it all. That's true. And yet often, we who are the messengers of God's love, it's clouded because we kind of add things to it. We we kind of, we, we contaminate it with our rules or our regulations or our preferences. We do that. And if the world would just see God's love, they would know this is the answer to what my problem is. This is the answer to my pain. This is the answer. They would get that because that's how God intended them. It intended, he intended it to be that way. Do not lower the standard of God's love. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were, they were failing to love people and doing so they were failing to love God. 
They were seeing their rules, their regulations, their traditions, their preferences. That became paramount. And God's righteousness, God's love became secondary. And therefore, so did people. Do not judge. Jesus gives us God's great commandment, the greatest commandment in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is saying, less rules, more love. Now, some of you are like, oh, that's awesome. And some of you, you don't like it. You just don't like where I'm going with this, <laughs> right? And you're both off, man. You're both off. But the reality is Jesus came on the scene. It meant less rules, more love. And you see, the Pharisees were hypocrites because they knew they couldn't clear the bar. And they would stand there and watch others fail. And, and we, in a sense, when we sort of judge people because we think they can't do it and we did, we're doing the same thing. That's why in the beginning of Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is saying, when the Pharisees teach the law of Moses, God's word, which is good, listen to them. Just don't follow their ways. Don't live out a relationship with God that way. This is not how you want to do it. Don't judge the motives of people, which only God can do. Don't judge them and have a critical spirit. Don't let that a big part of your walk with God and, and how you get jazzed by your relationship with God is that you look at others and say, look how screwed up their life is, but my life is good because, you know, because I do it this way. That, that's how you are so shortchanging what God intended for you to have emotionally and spiritually when you live out that way. That's judgmental. I know you're like, no, no, it is. It is. That's, that's, that's the seeds of being judgmental. That's the seeds of a critical spirit. Because what you're really saying somewhere in there is that you need to be less, you need them to be less so you can be more, so you feel you've accomplished something, when in fact it's by truly the grace of God that you are where you are. And to the extent that you don't get that is the extent that you feel to know God's love for you. That's why it's so important. So I truly believe when I say, if not for God, that I would be doing some of these things. I really believe that. And I don't think I'm better than any person because I don't. <laughs> I think it's because of God. And I don't know, I don't know if, you, if, that, if you get that. It's not that I'm better. It's that God's merciful and gracious and I'm here. You'll hear me often talk about, if you hang around me every several months, you'll hear me start talking about, you know, yeah, I'm struggling a little bit with self-righteousness. And I wonder if people misunderstand that. This is what I mean. I don't want to be self-righteous, like I am here because I am right, and I am good, and I am better, and I know more, and, 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 and I have a better willpower. I, I never want to get there, because it is an enigma to my faith in God. And I will become judgmental, and I will be critical in this spiritual way, and that is not healthy. I will, and I will start, I will do this, we do this to ourselves then. We then start setting a higher bar for ourselves, for our loved ones, for people. Like here, this is, that's what happens. Slowly, slowly we raise the bar and we put it in a place where we're never going to get to. And then we justify absurd and insane behaviors because we're like, okay, well, we know we can't do that anyway, so we might as well do this. All right, I want to, of course, here, listen. The next thing we want to do, we want to unlearn, is how the world handles the height of the bar. Meaning, okay, well, what, what does the world do? If the, if the Pharisees put the bar up here, 
then what does the world, what does culture do with it? Woohoo! Well, the culture says, no bar. We don't need the bar. That's what culture does. That's what the world does. They say, you know what? Pretty much the best way to do this is just not to have a standard. Everything is good. All works. They, they redefine what love is and acceptance is. So there's no right or wrong, and there's no truth for the most part. Uh, well, there is, but you're the author of that truth. And live the best way to please yourself. So eat, drink, and be merry, right? And what Jesus is saying is, you need to, you need to unlearn that. And that creeps into some of our kind of uh, our lives. If you're here and you don't know God, it might be the dominant way you live. And, and, and for us who, who are, quote unquote, in the church, it, it kind of creeps, we have this mix of, you know, it's like in a crazy way, we kind of vacillate where one day we go to the world standard, no bar, and then we come back up here to a kind of a, you know, this, this other standard, this, you know, pharisaical standard. And, and we're never just coming right here to, to just God's righteousness, to God's love. We go up, we go down. And so we're depressed, we're here, we're anxious, we're all over the place. But if we would just come right here to knowing that the reason why we exist, the reason why we breathe, the reason why we live, the reason why we can even think of being better is because of God, the reason why we have our hope for eternity is because what Jesus did, that he died on the cross, shed his blood, that our sins would be forgiven, that we could be made right with God. He made us right, right here, right now. This would be powerful in our lives. We would know the love of God. Not here, not here, but right here, right now. Isn't there a song that does that? Right here, right now? Okay. I don't know, it's in my head. Listen, love and acceptance is found in the righteousness of God. And now, what Jesus wants and what God intended and what we need to learn is that it is Jesus that lifts us over the bar, meaning it is Jesus that gets us to where we need to be. We don't get to this place of righteousness. We don't kind of get over where we need to be on our own. It is truly, as I said before, it is Jesus that gets us there. In John chapter 3, a Pharisee named Nicodemus was asking Jesus questions. And he didn't get what Jesus was saying, but he knew that the words were profound. And this is the conversation that produces the cherished verse of John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave his son Jesus that he would make you righteous, that he would pick you up and carry you and bring you to his standard. Not that you would have to get to that standard, not that if you believe in Jesus, now you can try and go there. No. <laughs> when you believe in Jesus, you are righteous. And we've been saying this over and over, and you want to get... See, because here's the thing. If you believe that, then you own it. Then that's what transforms you. It's that information, that, that truth that will transform you from the inside out. So now you can see people as God intended you to see them. And you can even see yourself as God intended for you to see yourself. Look, you don't know. Yet Jesus goes on to say that he did not come. God did not send him into this world to condemn the world. You don't know what's at the core of people's hearts. We don't want to be condemning them. 
And I know, you know, when we think condemning, we think like, is, is it this nasty, harsh words? And that's not really what it is. You can condemn people in a very subtle way <laughs> with very nice, eloquent thoughts. You're condemning them. And yet, and this is not what God has called us to do. God is gracious. God is merciful. Do, do you, can we just pause and just, just settle on that, that he's such a merciful God? My, man, it, it, there's nothing greater going on today, not the weather, nothing, than that, that we are the benefits of God's mercy. It's just so wonderful. God is slow to anger. He's rich in love. And from that love, he sent Jesus to get us over the bar. And that's the message that the church has for this world. That's what needs to leave us all in awe of God. That's where, that, that's the power of God. That's the love of God. And at the same time now, Jesus talks about us not being condemning and that he was not sent by God to condemn the world. Jesus does talk about now about light and darkness. And, and, and in this world, there is darkness. We know that. So Jesus now begins to say, okay, where the world took the bar away, I'm going to put it back. What Jesus is saying is, man, the world, when it took the bar away and no bar, this darkness, this not freedom, actually, this self-destruction, this confusion, this horrific suffering. And Jesus is saying, okay, God in his mercy puts the bar back in place. Me coming, I'm going to put it up here. It's not cooperating. There you go. I, me, my giving my life puts the bar back in place. Pharisees did this with it. The world wants to do that with it. But me giving my life puts the bar back in place. I am light and I've come. Not that I should. I am light and I am coming into darkness. This is darkness. This is darkness. But I am light. I am putting the standard. I am the standard. And in that same passage that Jesus talks about not condemning others, he also says this. He says, if you dismiss me, Jesus, if you dismiss the one who has been sent, he said this. He says, you condemn yourself. <laughs> so he's saying, others shouldn't condemn you, and we shouldn't condemn others, and God doesn't condemn you, but if you do not believe in who I am, and if you discard me, in my words, then you condemn yourself. You bring condemnation on yourself. I mean, if you're going to pretend there's no standard, and if you're going to go here, and if you're going to just put me aside, he goes, then in doing this, you're condemning yourself. And why would you want to condemn yourself when you can be made right with God, when you can live righteously, and you can know the love of an all-powerful and almighty God? In this world, there is darkness, and Jesus came to be the light of this world. So why? So we would know God's love. So why? So that you would be transformed, that we would be transformed. You say, well, how are we transformed when it comes to this judging? Well, we're transformed when it comes to being judgmental, when we go from a critical spirit to being poor in spirit. A critical spirit you know, God opposes the proud. A critical spirit is proud, and God opposes the proud, yet he gives grace to the humble. To be poor in spirit is to be humble, is to be spiritually bankrupt. Really, I mean, you think before God, you are spiritually bankrupt. 
It's not again that you're so good and you're, you're so right with your spirit and you got all these good. No, before God, you are spiritually bankrupt. You need God. You need God. Jesus said to Peter, man, you, you need to be cleansed every day. You need to be cleansed. You, you need to be forgiven. We need to have this mentality. This isn't, um, I'm not beating you over the eyebrows. I, I want you to be encouraged by that, by this. Because here's why it's so encouraging. Because Jesus made you right, you can go before God and be in a great position with, you can go before his throne, before God with this confidence and this boldness and this gladness and this expectancy that something wonderful is going to happen when you have this interaction, this communion with God. It, there's nothing greater that you have than that. There's nothing greater that you know than this right here. And you don't want to be going before God thinking, okay, well, I need this much. No, you need that much. Because that much will bring you to a place of going before God that your answer is yes before, he, <laughs> before anything else, right? Like, okay, yeah, it's yes. Whatever you're going to say, whatever, it, it's yes. I'm willing. When you go before God where you've got this much good going on and you're this spiritually strong, well, then the answer just might not be yes. You might have figured it out already. Listen, the way to break a critical spirit is to become poor in spirit. The role of the church, of you and I, as followers of Christ, because we are the church, is not to stand at the side of this high bar and watch the world try and jump over it and, and just and, and criticize them when they can't. That's not what God called us to do, or to think we're better than them because they can't. I won't do that. I never have done that. I don't think so. You, and, and I, we, we, I do this. I confuse people. Yes, we, I do speak what I believe, you know, truth and grace. And, and, and the truth is that you might be living in a way that misses the God's mark and what he's called you to. If you're using, you know, substances illegally, if you're having sex outside of the sacred institution of marriage, if you're doing that. But you know what? I don't think I'm better than you. I don't. I don't think I'm smarter than you. And if you're a Boston fan, I'm a Yankee fan, I got a better team than you do. I'm cool with hanging out with you. You might be same-sex attraction. I'm cool with hanging out with you. I don't think I'm better than you. Just because I go to church and I believe in Jesus, I don't think I'm better than you. I really mean this. Matter of fact, you're actually sometimes, you know what, I think the way you're living, some of the things you're doing apart from you're having sex outside of marriage in this way, which I believe misses the target that God has set for us, which just really just means this, that, that you don't know God for who he is. And this is a beauty. He's so righteous. There's so much love here. And it's so, look, it's better than, it's better than this sexual stuff. It's better than this drinking. It's, it's better than this occupation. It's better than any, you don't understand. God's calling us to give it all up. He's, I mean, listen, he calls me to die to myself. He's called you to die to yourself because he wants us to have this right here, this righteousness, this love, his standing. He wants us to be there. He's made a way for us to be there. This is what he wants. And so God, he, God does not want us to stand by and look like, okay, we, we've, we've made it here. We're Christians. We're good. They're bad. And I think we do this more than we realize it. We do. Oh, we, it's, we, 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 we don't love the sinner. We hate the sinner, but we love the sinner. But you don't love the sinner. You think you're better than the sinner. And I say, I'm not. 
And I say by God's grace that I'm even aware that sin exists. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm astonished that I, that I even have this sense between good and evil and, that I, and something in me compels me not to want to do evil. And that just is not me. It's got to be the, uh, the, mercy, um, the mercy of a God being poured out to me because I am spiritually bankrupt. But I know that God loves me. Matter of fact, that's why I know he loves me. He loves me. He delights in me. He cherishes me. And he is calling me to something greater. And he's made a way for me. Are you getting that? Or am I too much all over the place? Listen, the role of us as a church is to introduce people to Jesus Christ, to introduce them to his love. That's, we want to introduce people to the love of God. You come to church because you love God and because you need God's love. Because without him, you can't get there. Your faith in Jesus brings you to new, new heights. And, and in doing this, Jesus teaches us. He's, teach, he's trying to teach them. He's trying to get them unlearn this so you could learn this. You've heard it said, but I say to you, and he's saying, don't look down on people. Don't look down on them. Don't condemn them. So I want to just kind of give you an illustration of this by looking at, uh, of all places, uh, kind of a little bit of the life of a motorcycle cop in Los Angeles. This is L.A. Sheriff's Deputy Elton Simmons. And I bet you don't like him already. Seeing him there, hiding in the shadows. Why can't he go catch some real criminals, you may be thinking? Or no wonder he has a record number of complaints. Who wouldn't complain about a guy whose sole purpose in life is to ruin your day? Around the corner. By the very nature of the business, all LA County traffic cops can expect to get at least a few complaints every year. A lot of them are petty, people just mad because they got a ticket. But regardless, they all get documented and placed in the officer's personnel file. Which is why Captain Pat Maxwell was stunned when he started looking through Simmons' file. I just said that's not possible. Although he did see lots of commendations, looking back over the last 20 years, over the last 25,000 traffic stops, Captain Maxwell couldn't find one complaint. A record. Zero. I mean, Vegas or MIT could not give you the odds with the statistical probability of that. Obviously, Elton is doing something right. Something, ha yeah, it's got to be something. Do you but know what I, it is? No. No idea. No. Until the captain told him, Elton didn't even know he had such a record, let alone how he got it. It's just how I do it every day. So we trailed him for a day to see if we could figure out how he does it. Yeah, what's going on? How you doing today, man? First thing I noticed was that he has this pitch-perfect mix of authority I need to take care of that. and diplomacy. I don't want to keep pulling you over. With none of the attitude that sometimes comes with a cop. Uh, that's okay. That's good. Just, just be careful, all right? I'm here with you. I'm not up here because one thing I hated to be looked down at I can't stand it so I'm not gonna look down at you that's why in lieu of a lecture he gives most people the benefit of the doubt so it happens of course they still get the ticket it happens just not the guilt trip <laughs> and drivers seem to appreciate right, well, that you no know, it's not not that bad so much so right. that by the end some are downright smitten you know what it is? Is a smile. Really? He's got a great smile. Really? Oh, yeah. You're, you're giggling now. Yeah, you just got a ticket. I just got a ticket. He's a nice guy. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> he's, I mean, how can you be mad at that guy? 
Apparently, you can't. Disarming. That's it, disarming. Time after time. Very uh, kind. Ticket after ticket. Never so happy to get a ticket in my life. We saw Officer Elton Simmons melt away a polar ice cap of preconceptions. And his boss says there's a lesson in there for hard-nosed traffic cops everywhere. Their excuse is, well, I give tickets all day long. I'm going to get complaints. Well, that's not true. There's a way. There is a way to do it. And Elton Simmons is the way. Certainly, no complaints here. Steve Hartman on the road in Los Angeles. Well, good for Officer Elton, huh? Listen, we are followers of Christ. We don't want to look down on people. We don't, we don't want them to even think we're doing that. Uh, and that's a perception they might have. They might have that perception before we even say anything. And we need, that's why when we went to the cinema, we, we, it was all about being neutral. It, that's, that's why the lobby is the way it is. We, we know people have this perspective, this perception of what Christians are. And we, we want to diffuse that. You know, we're very strategical about this. You know, that people think, wow, you're relating to me. You're connecting me. You care about me. You're not looking down on me. You might hear a U2 song. All of this stuff is we're just trying to connect, relate. We want them to think, you know what, we're not better than you, right? We're, we're, we're not looking down on you. And, and, you know, I think it's one of the reasons why we've been so effective in seeing people come in here, right? God changes them. God restores them. But, but God is using us and the way we do this to, to relate to people, to bring them in. And I thank God, and I thank God for all of you, and you're giving, you're serving, and you're trusting us as your leadership in doing it this way. Uh, when, when we, this week, we'll go out into the GCAC, and we'll have a banquet for almost 100 people. People, you know, uh, counselors in the town or leaders in this city and, and a wonderful organization, a benevolence organization, the GCAC, we'll serve them. And, and you know what? The whole time, they'll just know these people are servants. These people don't think they're better than us. These people really, actually, these people think well of us. We make them feel special. How do you like that? And we don't promote ourselves. We insist that they just take the mic. They promote, uh, they thank us. They're great. We're just servants. This has been the way we've gone about it. That we don't come in saying, we're so great, we're so good, you have, no, it's just not what we do. We serve, we care, we're not better than you. And then, well, why are you like, well, because of this, this is why we do this, this is why we're like that, because of that. In the coming weeks, I should warm some of you up here. We're going to do something called God at the Box Office, where we're going to take movies that are out there. We're not going to preach on the movies, but we're going to go to the movies. You're going to walk in here, and you might see Godzilla up on the screen, man or some dinosaur or something. And what it is is we're going to go, we're going to take out these spiritual truths and toss it out there to connect to their culture, to relate to them, to make them think we're not better than you, but we care about you, and we want you to know what we know, this right here, that God has a great standard, a wonderful, holy, beautiful standard, and in that is God's love for you. A critical relationship will hurt your relationship with God. So we got to fly through. It's 1004. Uh, here, I want to just close it out this. If you don't get rid of a critical spirit, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt your relationship with God. It's going to hurt your marriage, and it's going to hurt your relationship with your children if you have children. It is. Critical spirits hurt churches. It, it, they do. Maybe more than anything else, that's what 
undermines churches. We're fortunate. It really is not something that's common here, and I thank God for it, and I think it's because of teachings like this and talking and how we talk. We protect it. We really don't want that here. Why? It's not because we want this. We, we, we don't want that. We don't want this. We want that. We want God's righteousness here. We don't want to have that critical spirit where we're judging or condemning or, 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 or knocking. It's just not who we are. And, and you don't want to have that critical spirit in your relationship. You see, because when you, when you do that, something happens in you. When, when you're in your home and in your marriage and with your children, and that critical spirit starts to well up in you, especially when you come from a spiritual place, what happens is you, you increasingly become kind of blind to yourself and deaf to God. That's dangerous, right? You, you don't see yourself and your inadequacies and your inconsistencies, and you become deaf to God, right? You become harder on others and softer on yourself. And somebody said amen, right? You know, but nobody did. I just say it for myself, amen. Yeah. And it creeps in this critical spirit. I did this early on in my marriage to a noticeable degree. I've worked through it through the years, and I've improved, and I keep improving on this. You'll do it with your children. And you know, I, I, I won't end this way. I'll just say this. I, I get it. It comes from when you've come from difficulty, or you've overcome difficulty, or deprivation, or whatever it is, or lack of finances in your, in your childhood, or anything coming up, all this stuff. You don't want that for your children. You love them. You don't want them to know that pain or that confusion or that lack. You don't want it. So if you see anything going on in their lives that might even be sending them off on a trajectory, you're on it. And you're usually on it with criticism because you're doing it to protect them. But maybe you just want to pull out that criticism, right? And remember, hey, you got here because of God's grace, not because of you. I know you think it's your willpower, but you got there because of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you got there by the grace of God. Okay? And then you want to turn around and you want to bring truth to your children. You want to guide them, but do it with love. Right? Do it with kindness. Do it with patience. Do it with goodness. Do it from a place that, uh, that they know that it is someone who's been bestowed the mercy and the grace of God that's talking to them. Now I'm preaching to me. Nobody else has to listen, okay? But I tell you, this will help your relationship with your children. This will help your marriage, whether you're a male to female, female to male, I'm telling you, your children, your relationships, you, you need this. And what happens is if this is an inkling. If it's going on there, it's happening somewhere in your relationship with God. That means there's something out of whack in how you're seeing God, in this whole judgmental thing, in this, in this religion versus righteousness. You're missing what, what true righteousness is and what God has for you. I worship you. Why don't you come on up? It's 12 or 8. We're going to finish out one way or another. All right. Listen. And don't think about, don't judge me. Don't walk around saying, nobody should judge me. Well, you're so, if you do that, you're kind of self-absorbed. <laughs> don't think, oh, don't judge me. Nobody should judge me. Think, what is God calling me to? Think, am I condemning myself? <laughs> Think am I blind to myself and deaf to God? Just think about what righteousness is. Don't walk around in this thing that you don't want to hear anything from anyone. Listen, come to the place of the righteousness that God has for you. If you do this, if you leave religion, if you leave rules, if you leave your own standards, 
if you leave being, having a critical spirit, if you turn to God humbly, meaning if you seek God and talk to him and pray to him and communicate with him because you're going to do this, then you come over into transformation. And when you do that, you're transformed. Your, 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 your life resembles more. It's Christ-like. Your life, your marriage, your relationships. You'll love others because you've been loved by God. You will know that the power of God is present in your life and you will own it. Why don't you stand with me? We'll close in prayer. If you're in here and you do not know God, meaning, you know, yeah, that would be you answering that question. If Jesus asked you today, do you trust me? You would say, you know what, coming in here, no. I don't think I do trust you, or maybe not. But today, as God has worked through, as he brought you here, ordained that you be here, and he's stirring you, that that has changed. That by the power of God, and the love of God that you want to trust Jesus. And you now know that it's not going to be yourself that's going to do this, but it's God working in you. It's your loving God and knowing God that's going to enable you to trust him, that he's going to bring you to a place of righteousness, that by believing in him, you become righteous before God. You are in the right place. That you cry out to God, God, I need you. God, I thank you for reaching out to me and touching me right here, right now. God, forgive me of the way I lived apart from you, missing the mark of, of the standard of what you said. I, I turned from that. But now, God, you've forgiven me of those sins, and I thank you, and I want to know you and follow you all the days of my life. And you might be in here now, and you're just saying, God, take away that critical spirit in me. God, have mercy on me that I have been harder on others than myself. God, have mercy on me that I have been blind to me, oh God, and deaf to you. Lord, thank you that you've given me this precious moment, oh God, to know you, to be honest with myself and honest with you, oh God, and that you remove it from me and that I am free. In Jesus' name, amen.